and it reads as follows. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A wonderful opening to a very precious book, and we're just going to touch the surface a bit in terms of an overview, um, but very excited to see how God's Spirit is wanting to speak to us through this precious uh, letter that Paul writes. And he's writing under unusual circumstances. He's actually in prison. And we know this time he gets released, but he's, he's imprisoned in Caesar's household. He's under the imperial guard. And um, that is a game changer as we read this book, because I bet many of your favorite verses are from Philippians. I mean, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know that one? Yeah. <laughs> um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Am I sounding okay? okay it sounds like I'm, I'm speaking from outer space. Hello. Shall we try? Must I, must I carry on talking? Are you, is it bearable? Uh, okay. Um, so uh, most of these amazing uh, scriptures that we quote, do not be anxious about anything with prayer and supplication, present your request to God. These great <laughs> themes, these great scriptures are written by a man who is putting his money where his mouth is. He is in prison. And yet he can have such joy, such confidence, such assurance. <laughs> I, I don't know how much more this is going to take. Shall I, shall I use it? I think so, yeah. Such assurance. <laughs> how is that? Oh, that sounds much better. All right. Oh, thanks, Dad. Do you mind getting my own? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I don't think... Cross-contamination is helpful. All right, Lord Jesus, get us back on course here. All right. So he's writing from prison, which is such a game changer. And you just see the value of what he is practicing, what he's preaching. And what makes this, this letter so beautiful is, is Paul writes it not because of some controversy or because of some correction in, or false doctrine. He's writing it as a thank you letter. Um, and he's writing it because this precious church, which he helped plant, uh, collected money for his imprisonment. I mean, you can't work when you're in prison, right? And um, this church sends him cash via a very precious friend of Paul and a very precious brother to the church called Epaphroditus. And on the way from Philippi, which is in Greece, uh, Epaphroditus is carrying this cash to Paul, but he gets very, very sick. He almost dies. And um, Paul is eager to write not only to say thank you to these Philippians, but he also wants to let them know that Epaphroditus is still alive <laughs> and is doing well. Um, and uh, so it's, it's probably Paul's sweetest letter. You see the, the, the wonderful heart of Paul coming through here. And um, it is full of love. It is full of affection for these people. Um, and uh, today, I just want us to look at three big reasons why um, we are going to tackle Philippians as a church. Three big things as we dive into the detail in the, in the weeks ahead that we can be blessed by today through the example of this church. And the first point I want to, us to look at is that Philippians is the proof that God works all things for the good. Uh, I, I have been so encouraged. You know, can we just all acknowledge that life is very messy, right? 
Uh, I need a strong amen to that. <laughs> and, and, and I have realized that this book, its blessing is not just its content, but its backgrounds. Do you know that this church was planted off the back of a very public and embarrassing disagreement between Paul and Barnabas? I mean, it, it was Paul's second missionary journey, and these were two senior leaders in the life of the church. And they had a sharp disagreement about Mark, John Mark, because last time Mark was a bit of a sissy and bailed out early on the first missionary journey. And um, Paul says, there is no way this guy is going with us for the second round. And Barnabas, being probably the, the warmer-hearted um, of the two, um, although I think Paul grew up a little bit afterwards, said, no, John Mark's coming. And if he's not coming, I'm not going with you. But the point is, in Acts 15, you can sense the church sending off Paul by the grace of God, which is a nice way of saying, okay, we love you, but um, we're not so enthusiastic about this round of how you're leaving. Um, and friends, I just want to say, is there anybody here today that has experienced relational breakdown in their life? Maybe it's a broken marriage. Maybe it's a soured business partner. Maybe it's a, it's a friendship that's gone south. Maybe it's a church split. And um, friends, it, it, the scriptures are quite clear in Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. And I just want to say, I know how messy church can be, and I know how difficult life can be. And there is brokenness that happens. But Philippians is the proof that God can redeem anything. And as you open up and you read the beauty of this book, my friends, it is preaching to you that God works even the brokenness for his good and for his glory. Just give him time and a faithfulness in following him. And he has such a way of looking at that. As Paul is writing this letter, he's nearing the end of his life. We know he gets delivered from prison this round. Next round he gets executed. But he's coming to the end of his life. And I can just imagine the little chuckle of God's sense of humor as he looks back upon how this church came about off the back of uh, his, his disagreement with Paul and Barnabas and God working it ultimately for the good. He didn't justify it, but friends, God could use it. And so I just want to encourage anybody here who thinks, well, the best days are over. They missed God's plan A for their lives. I just want to say Philippians says that's nonsense. In Jesus, if you will trust him, he can work all things for the good. And this church is proof of it. Isn't that wonderful? And the second thing is, Paul had a, a dodgy start in planting this church, but it didn't get easier as he got going. So he goes up into the southern part of Turkey where they had planted the churches in Galatia um, in the first round. But, but friends, I just admire the honesty of this church leader and his, his humility at being able to admit he doesn't know where he's going or what he's doing. Because once he's finished checking on the churches they planted, that he decides to go into a new missionary field, which is in the north of Turkey called Bithynia. And as he turns up to go north, the Holy Spirit says to Paul, he forbids Paul from going, says, you don't dare go. Now, if you've ever been in leadership, one of the hardest things is to admit to the people following you, you don't know where you're going. And friends, I want to say, I, I, I wonder if his ministry team, because he had people with him, was thinking, is Paul still right with God? 
Is he really hearing God still? I mean, this guy who's been so successful is having closed door going north into Bithynia. So he tries to go into the southwest of Turkey called Asia Minor, and the Holy Spirit forbids him again. And I can just imagine in the team, you know, Paul didn't really leave with good grace uh, with Barnabas. And, and I can imagine the pressure upon him to try and make things happen, to make the people around him feel secure. But also the questions that Paul's honesty produces in his ministry team of going, does this guy really know where he's going or what he's doing? And I, I just want to say, friends, life is like that. Life can be a season of disappointment where you feel like you want to knock on a door to go north and the door is shut. And it's not that God is saying no and then yes to what you must be doing. All you know is he is just closing doors. And however frustrated you are in your job, however you're frustrated or are in ministry that's not opening up in the church that you love, however you might be feeling around your present season, there is frustration. And added to that, uncertainty about the future. You're stuck in the in-between. Anybody relate to that? And, and, and so what you're really left in is in the season of just doing what's in front of you. And that's what Paul does. He just does what's in front of him, and he eventually arrives at the coast uh, and on a, in a town called Troas. And by giving God the time, he gets one of the clearest, clearest calls to ministries he's received apart from the Damascus Road where there's this Macedonian man that happens to appear to him in a vision. And he says, Paul, come over, come over into Europe. And you know that Philippians, the, uh, the church in Philippi was the first church planted in Europe. But friends, I want to point out to the fact that it was off the back of great uncertainty, great um, humiliation, and a, a, a deep sense of having to trust God when he didn't really know where to go and what to do. And if that's you this morning, Philippians is the proof that God knows what he's doing and he's able to redeem even the uncertainty and frustrations and disappointments of his nose into a glorious yes, where when you look back over your life and as you've trusted and walked with Jesus, he can so redeem what seemed to have been broken and what seemed to be uncertain into something beautiful. And I, the other thing that really encourages me about this book in Acts chapter 16 is, is you notice that the planting team for the church in Philippi would be not the kind that you'd pick for yourself. I mean, they're a bunch of weirdos. And I'm just so encouraged that God is happy to use these kinds of people to build his church. I mean, the first convert is Paul and Silas. They head off to, they know by, uh, that Jewish people love to pray by rivers. I think it was part of their washing ceremonies, uh, but, um, and he was right. He goes often, I think it's a lunchtime prayer meeting, and there's a, a group of Jewesses that are praying. And as he shared the gospel, this rich, wealthy, successful businesswoman, Lydia, who sells purple, which is an, an emperor color, it is of high authority, extremely expensive, um, and, and she's at the top of the game. And amazingly, although Jesus could say that it's harder for a rich man to, I mean, a camel to go through the eye of the needle, um, or it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom, this woman's heart is broken open by the gospel. She gets saved. She becomes a place for them to stay in her home. And, and God uses this, this wealthy Jewess to become the first partner for the planting of the church in Philippi. But it doesn't stop there. Almost in God's sense of humor, he starts way up there with the wealthy, and then he goes way down low to the absolute abject poverty um, a person, which is this, this demon-possessed slave girl. And uh, she had a spirit of divination, and she brought great wealth 
to her owners because she could predict the future somewhat accurately. Not a good idea to trust a demonic spirit. But anyway, um, when you haven't got Jesus, you turn to funny things. And, and they were making a fortune from her. But friends, eventually, I mean, Paul does not give credit to a demonic assertion of the gospel. I mean, she's crying out while Paul's preaching. She's saying, uh, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaims to you the way of salvation. Paul's not impressed. Eventually, he can't take it anymore. It says he's so annoyed, he turns to this, this girl and he casts this demon out by the authority of Jesus. And suddenly, with the loss of the spirit of divination, her owners realize they've just lost a lot of cash. But my point is this, is this slave girl is the most unlikely next person to join the church. She is poor. She probably had to attend late at night because she had a whole day's work to do. And so you go from this rich Jewess to this, this slave girl who has, has been delivered from demon possession. And then <laughs> the next person to get saved is the Philippian jailer. I mean, if there ever was a but. You know, if there ever was a, a guy that would be a man's man, who, who would be, I mean, you don't see many of them here today. The church is not really appealing to people who fish hard, drink hard, tattoos. You know, like, it's like the rough guys of society don't exactly think church is a lot of fun, right? Out of all the possible people there, Paul and Silas singing in the, at midnight, they've just been, I mean, he's just beating them up. I mean, he's just, he's showing himself to be someone you don't mess with. And he's on night shift. And, and here these guys are singing the praise of Jesus. And all of a sudden, there's this great earthquake. And this man comes running in. And friends, he gets saved. And he, gets a, he comes to glorious faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul, he just asks, what must I do to be saved? And, 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 and Paul doesn't teach him the ten tenets of the faith. He says, believe in Jesus. And he believes in Jesus. And his whole household gets saved. I mean, can you imagine leading that small group on a Wednesday night? I mean, just think about that. There you've got, you've got this Jewess who's uber wealthy next to the girl who's just been delivered from a demon. And then you've got the but with all of his big family around. They go, yeah, lucky. come on, let's hear what we've got to hear about in the Bible today. I mean, it's the most glorious picture that our God can save anybody, amen? I mean, the gospel can touch the one who's demon-possessed and delivered. The gospel can touch the wealthy heart that doesn't think she really needs much, but can open heart to see a need for Christ. You can see even the manner, even the people that, that seem so hard on the outside, God can make like a soft, tender spirit on the inside. Friends, this gospel is powerful to save. And when you look at these Philippians, they wouldn't be plan A for the church, right? But God says, this is the team I want, and what a joy. Doesn't that make you feel good about yourself? That if God can use all of these kinds of people, he can use us. And the blessing, can I just say to you, the blessing of seeing God work this way for Paul was what he, he was led to in, in chapter 1, verse 6 of this beautiful letter. He says, and I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you, I mean, it was clearly God's work. I mean, who could save this wealthy person and this demon-possessed person and this, this, this guy who was so far from gracing the door of a church? I mean, it, and he could work through broken relationships. He could work through all of the, the mess of ministry of not knowing where to go for days and eventually coming out on the other side. Friends, all of this, you could say, this is clearly the work of God that you exist. And if God started it, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's the glory of a broken life being blessed by a great Redeemer that can make anything good. Praise God. Philippians is this joyful trophy of God's redeeming mercy. 
And Paul's chuckling to himself. He says, I haven't got much more to live, but I've learned one thing, guys. God's got his hand on you, church. And he started this work. He sustained it. And praise God, he's going to bring it to completion. <laughs> With or without me. And uh, my second point is, is, well, my first was that God works all things for the good, we see. But the second beauty about this church, the second point we can learn from is it's a mirror for us, SBC. One of the great things you should do is as you read your Bible, you should ask yourself the question, is our church like this? Can I tell you what the secret of a successful church is? When her people are reading the New Testament, they can say, that's us. And as you read this book, it's a mirror where you can see there's some interesting things. I, I'm very intrigued to see, because Paul, we're getting at his best. Eh? He's, he's most mature, most experienced in ministry. He, he has learned many lessons. He's worked out his salvation with fear and trembling. And I am so fascinated by what he celebrates as a successful church. And why I'm interested in that over the weeks ahead is I want to have you have his framework to measure what a good church is. And how you play an intricate part in it. And friends, when you look at this church of Philippi, I mean, there are a few quarrels. And she's not perfect, praise God. Who can ever live up to that? But overall, she's healthy. She's strong. She's going for it in the Lord. And, and I would love us, as we read, to ask the question, are we like this SBC? Are, are, are we emulating what the gospel produces by the power of the Spirit through the Word of God in God's people? And I want to see, what does she prioritize? What should we be prioritizing? What is she celebrating? What should we be celebrating? What is Paul praying for? What should we be seeking God for? It's the most exciting thing when you look into this church as a mirror and ask, what can we learn? How can we change? What can we celebrate as God having done already in us? And uh, friends, what interests me is, is there is no reporting on church numbers. Although Paul wouldn't be opposed to a growing church. We know it was quite a large church because it had deacons. We'll talk about that in the weeks ahead. Um, the larger churches had deacons to help the elders pastor because the numbers were so large. But, but the, the thing that I'm interested in is, is Paul is not interested in saying, oh, well done for the 30 people who came to faith last week, or the church finances, or the church programs, or the political economic situation. What he is interested in is really what matters eternally. Can I tell you, I've been, I was a church boy growing up. I'm still a church boy I even work in the church. Friends, what I've learned is things change a lot. Culture changes a lot. Worship's here. Worship music changes a lot, right? We had a few golden oldies this morning. I was like, whoo, that was a good reminder of where we've come from. And, 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 we, and these things, they pass. The kind of buildings, the kind of outward forms. But what Paul is interested in is the substance of what this church orbits around. What is it that interests and pleases Jesus that's what we have to ask ourselves. Friends, and I tell you what, God is not interested in a perfect worship service. Let me tell you, they were a noisy bunch. Have you ever heard a Philippian jailer sing? I mean, uh, I, I bet he didn't know the words, but he mouths a few good, you know. Uh, you know have you, and even the preaching, if you deal with the preaching team, I guarantee you, you've got to deal with different kinds of styles, and, and none of them were all neat and tidy. Uh, I'm sure some of it was off the cuff. And, and uh, God is not interested in how beautiful our buildings are and, and how, how, how slick our services are. What he's interested in is what really matters. And the first thing that we see looking at the Philippian church is this church not only believed in, but went for sharing the gospel with everything it had. Paul could say, you guys are my partners. In, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He loves praying, always in every prayer of mine. 
for you all. Isn't that incredible? He doesn't say for some of you that are motivated by the gospel. He says, you bunch, all of you, the minor, the slave girl, and the, and, and the wealthy, all of you, I, I make my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Friends, what this church was after was what the world really needs. We don't need, at first, we don't need, first of all, a greener society. That's a side effect of people living responsibly for what they know God made. We don't need a more just society as first and foremost, friends, that only happens to the human heart being changed. Friends, we need to understand that the gospel of what we preach and how we live it out, Paul would say, live a, live a manner worthy of the gospel, that our job as a church is to proclaim the only hope of salvation, which is faith in Jesus Christ. If you went to her services, that's what she was about. When you looked at her giving, that's what she was about. When you got to her people, that's what they were about. Every person wasn't just coming to sit and hear someone else share the gospel. They were praying, they were giving, and they were partnering in their lives, wherever they had influence, to bring about this glorious message that had been such a blessing to them as a church. You sit with a church like that, where a demon-possessed girl can stand up and say, God saved me from the demonic. And you see a guy, that, the boot standing up and saying, God rescued me. A guy doing night shifts in the middle of a prison, God found me. And you see a Jewess girl that God loved me so much that he would come and find me by a river as I'm praying and share Jesus with me. That he would send these people across an ocean to come and save me. You get a church glorying in the gospel like that, you can't keep them quiet. Friends, this church understood from a pagan background what God had done for them. This wasn't an inherited faith. This wasn't your children growing up in nice, neat, clerical institutions. Friends, this is the people that got to see Jesus Christ firsthand from people that loved him, and they were never the same again. This is not business as usual. This is not me warming the seat. This is not me experiencing the, the, the joy of everybody else working around me. Let me tell you, these people believed in what they believed, and it changed their life, and they wanted everybody else to know it. May God make us a church that partners well for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not participation. It's partnership. Paul says, man, partners share equal loads. It's not him saying, oh, I'm getting all the finances I need to do the ministry so that you can look bigger as a church. Friends, what he's saying here is saying you guys are integrally, not only with your hands, but your heart. You're in. You're in 100% under all the persecution they faced from the Thessalonians, under the, the false doctrine that was pressing upon them from the circumcision party. These guys were saying, we believe the gospel. And we're never going to roll over. Come on, May. We know what this world needs, and we're going to get on doing it. Friends, this church was getting the gospel to people's ears, and they saw it transform their community. But when they got to hear the gospel, they got it to their hearts, and friends, might we be the same? What do you live for? Do you live it just to survive? Or do you live with the understanding that the same message that impacted your life and transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to this kingdom of God's dear son that rescued you from an eternal damnation that made you a friend of God and gave you the spirit so that you might be his dwelling place. Friends, the glory of the gospel and what it ashes into the human heart, it cannot be compared to. And friends, it is worth living for. It's worth praying for. It's worth giving to. It's worth seeing my life caught up with this grand, generous heart of God for a world that doesn't deserve Him, that my life is somehow intricately connected to the circumstances around me to be a blessing to those who need to hear Christ. That is the way to start living your life, my friend, and the adventure never stops. It is a way of living your life where every day there is a purpose before you where you go, I'm on mission with the God of heaven and He's deeming to use me. You want to see a church that's alive? You want to see a church that's excited? You want to see a church that's enthusiastic about the things of God? It's a church that gets the gospel and the glory of what it means to them and the need of the world around them for it. That's the kind of church may God birth in us through this series. And may, it may long may it be that when the city looks at Sterling, they'll say, those people are about one thing. They're about Jesus. You want to find Jesus? You go rub shoulders with them. They'll tell you. 
that are about the gospel. And there are growth in love. Friends, the second thing that we see as a mirror for our church is Paul is saying, guys, I'm not interested so much in your worship services and the sleekness of your leadership. What I'm interested in is the quality of your fellowship. Can I ask you today, do you love these people? Is there space in their heart, in your heart for them? You see, Paul could say, I don't want you just to grow in the knowledge of the truth. What good is that if it doesn't work out into a life of love? And, and I have to ask you today, Sterling, this is a searching thing. Philippians, Paul says, I'm going to be going to Jesus any moment soon. I only have so much time to ask God for certain things. The thing I'm going to ask for is that your love might abound more and more. I mean, it comes through, it says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Philippians 1 verse 9. Friends, this is what Paul is asking. Is do you love these people more than when you first arrived? And can I ask this, the question in reverse, do you feel more loved than when you first arrived? Because friends, when Jesus looks down upon a church, he is not even interested ultimately in the accuracy. Accuracy for accuracy's sake is no life. Accuracy for right behavior, right heart, right living, right feeling, right open-heartedness to the things that, that, that God loves. And let me tell you, Jesus loves his body. You cannot tell me you love Jesus with your life if you don't love his church. Friends, there is a connection here where Paul is saying, I want you to grow, not in your, your slickness, not in your, your, your skill. I want you to grow in the thing that matters to Jesus, which is your ability to love. And church, I, I, we can be forgiven for a lot. But the thing that we can't be let off the hook on is our love. You see... I ask you this morning, why are you here? And your answer is very important. Are you here because you need something from God? Friends, if that is the only reason why you are here, then you only see half the plot. God needs something from you. And the call is a partnership to model what is on the heart of Jesus, which is these people. These people, friends, he could call saying, hey, guys, the kind of atmosphere I want in your fellowship is, is if there is any love, any encouragement, any humility, any comfort, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, and uh, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Friends, what Paul is calling for here is the quality of her relationships, of the church's relationships to be deeper and deeper and more like Christ. Can I just ask you, do you love the church? Love is uncomfortable. Love invades our calendars. Love invades our prayer life. Love requires us to have an open heart to people we would not normally rub shoulders with. I ask you today, do you love, do you love this church? Because the last thing I was going to say in this mirror, being the Philippian church for us, is Paul has at the back of his mind throughout this book the second coming of Jesus. Friends, we're not playing games here. Christ is going to come. 
And Paul wants the well done of Jesus for this congregation. And he knows he's on a timeline. He was hoping that the second coming would come in his lifetime. 2,000 years later. Sorry, Paul. You're still waiting. We're still waiting. But friends, the point is this. is We don't know when it's going to come so that we can always be ready. And I want to ask you today, are you living your life and seeing the things that matter to Jesus as being the things that are going to ultimately matter on the second coming of Christ? Friends, when you can evaluate your life according to what's important for then, you can start living correctly now. And I want to ask you today, are you ready for the second coming of Jesus? If he looked at your life, when he looked at your heart, when he looked at the way that you are eager for him, would he be pleased? And friends, this church, this church was living, and the reason why they were commended for it was they were living around the things that really mattered eternally. So much of this life is passing away, but what is going to stand forever is the gospel the gospel lived out in a life of love and, friends, a readiness for the second coming of Jesus and his well done. And, and this guy, is de- he's determined, he's jealous that this Philippian church will be ready for the coming of Jesus. We want the same for you. You know, I'm aware, church, that the voices around us are so loud horizontally. But if we look up this morning and we know where we're going, and we know one day who we're going to see. And we live like it. We changed. What are you grumbling about today? What are you complaining over? What is, what is God not doing for you? <laughs> what does that look like when he puts all things right at his second coming? What does it look like to be set free from sin, from self? And in that moment of seeing Jesus to be in his full presence, naked presence, the glorious, unsheathed, unveiled um, uh, radiance of Jesus. Friends, when you start to compare what you have in front of you to that, you can't live the same. And as a church... We want to give ourselves to the things that matter to Jesus because one day we're going to stand before him. And we want a well done. And I'm talking as a church, but my third and final point is this Philippian book is, is individually very, very challenging, but very, very encouraging. It's a model for finishing well. Friends, we see a man who is close to meeting Jesus. And could I just ask you today to consider in these six questions I want to put forward to you from this book to to assess. I want you to assess, are you running well? And are you going to finish well? We need a spiritual ambition to finish well because, friends, I just have to say, not many do. I was saying to Marina, Shopping in our city, going grocery shopping, which I do for our family, is a very painful experience for me. Because more often than not, I meet people that were going for it in the Lord and now are nowhere. And it's not that I want to point out the finger at them and say, you know, bad. What I realize is I know them. I know their sincerity of faith. I know that what God did in their life was real. 
and there is no difference of the work of God that was started in them that he's done in me and, and the fickleness of our hearts, church. It's dangerous. And, and I just want to caution you. I never saw this scripture until I had to prepare for this Sunday. It's there, but I never saw it. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, Paul says this. He says, no, that's the wrong verse, sorry. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, he says this. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul says, there were many who were with us. They're no longer here. And, and, and the thing that shook me was it's the for many. It's not just a few. He said, many of these guys that labored with us in the gospel, they know where to be found. Now, even now, denying the cross, even now saying this thing about of, of, of the quality of their salvation, they, they turned their back on fellowship with Jesus and fellowship with his church. And friends, that was chilling for me because I realized that even great men that I've looked up to in the faith have fallen. And there is no guarantee that we will finish well. Do you want to today? I want to. I want to. And what we see in the life of Paul, church, is we see a man finishing well. And the first thing you need to ask yourself is, are you on track to finishing well? Is, is, is your love for Jesus? Please listen to me this morning. This is very important. Is your love for Jesus more than when you first met him? Has the worth of Jesus to you grown compared to the day you met him for the first time? Paul could say this. He could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He could say, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Friends, love has a habit of growing cold if it's not guarded. And I want to ask you, what are you about today? Are you here today because you love Jesus more than what you did at first? If that is the, tr the truth in your life, you're running well, my friend, and you guard it with your life. If you can see yourself having waned, if you can kind of see that this used to be about Jesus, now it's about other stuff, you must attend to it, my friend, with all that you've got. You drop down every other agenda, you get down on your knees and you say, Jesus, Keep me from growing cold towards you. I want to love you more tomorrow than I do today. The second question you must ask yourself is, do you still have a passion to grow? Or is this just an academic business as usual? We'll see how well the preacher does today. And we'll see how well I can understand these, these abstract truths that sort of piece together a tapestry that's got no correlation to my life. Let me tell you, this Apostle Paul, he could plant churches. He could see a seventh heaven. He could, or the third, I can't remember which number it was. It was very, a very big idea, a big thing that happened to him. He could, he could have visions of a Macedonian man at the end of his life. He could say, my passion, my passion is that I might gain Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish so that I might know him. Friends, what is your passion to go? I love Anthea's um, uh, testimony today. This thing of being willing to say, yes, Lord, to whatever you want. This ability to say, you've got a bouquet. You haven't just got one little stingy wilted flower for me. This, this Paul could have a few years left of his life, but he could say, the best are in front of me. 
The best to see in Jesus is still there. Now, I've seen a lot, but it's just touching the surface of this glorious Savior. Friends, he's so hungry, and he's so teachable. And one of the things I worry about is as we get older, we become less and less so. He had a, he had a passion for Jesus, but not just this, this love for him. He wanted to know him, and he was willing to share anything, whether it was his suffering, whether it was his death, whether it was, it didn't matter to Paul as long as he could get Christ. Is that you today? You're in good shape if so. If not, my friends, you need to take your heart to the Lord and ask him to do some surgery. You need a hunger and thirst for righteousness because unless that is there, you won't be filled. And who wants to live a life like that? And the third thing you must ask yourself today is, is are you characterized more by the future than the past? We have this human condition of thinking that yesterday were the good old days. And friends, this man had planted and done great. He even wrote scripture. I mean, what an accolade on your resume before Jesus. And he could say, man, one thing I do, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he says, let those of you who are mature think this way. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 15. Friends, Paul is not sitting back and saying, oh, the best has happened. You know, I remember when we used to do things this way. And I remember when God used to answer prayer like this. And I remember when I saw revival. And I remember when I saw God's outpouring in the Spirit. You're always talking from memory. There's no hope about the future. Friends, what is lying ahead of us as a church vastly outweighs what we have tasted and seen in the Lord. Your future in Christ is way brighter than your present or your past. And unless we start talking about it, daydreaming about it, believing it as being, this is what God has for me, you will grow colder, more pessimistic, more cynical. You won't believe the gospel's going anywhere. Friends, let me remind you what the gospel has done and planted in you. It is eternal. And friends, it is preparing you for a weight of glory, which vastly outweighs what you've tasted and seen thus far. Does that excite you today? I hope so. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to be set free from every sickness and sin. You know, part of what I love about praying for people that need healing is I know it's going to happen for the Christian. We're asking for relief now, but the glory of getting a new body, it's just around the corner. And Paul said, yes, I'm waiting in my lifetime. He hoped that Christ was going to come. I want to say to you, whether it's through death or the second coming of Jesus, it's much closer than you think. I can't wait to see Jesus face to face and to be free to love him perfectly. It's coming. Praise God, it's coming. When we pray, it's prophetic. We're going to talk to Jesus face to face. When we read our Bible, we're not just going to read on his voice on a page. We're going to hear it. When we, when we give our lives to the worship and glory of Christ, what we do by faith, now we will do in the full presence of Jesus. We're going to be with him forever. Let's live like a church. Let's see what this world really is in the great grand scheme of his salvation, which is a tiny twinkling of an eye. We're going to see Jesus. Paul's future is vastly superior to what he's experienced in the past. That's a safe place to live, my friends, because it forces you never to settle. The fourth question you must ask yourself is, do you love the church more? Just forgive me being a bit personal this morning. But we are living in a day and age 
when the church is increasingly becoming something that is irrelevant to faith. It is demonic. And I, I look at this man who could say at the end of his life, Paul suffered in church. Paul was hurt multiple times. He did some hurting too, by the way. But he felt the rejection of people that were against his ministry. But at the end of his life, praise God, in, in chapter 1, verse 8, he could say, For God is my witness, Philippians, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He feels what Christ feels for his church. And I worry. People say, oh, I don't do the institution of church. What rubbish. If you want to look at Philippians, there's institution everywhere. There's elders, there's deacons, there's saints, there's holding to the word of God. There is, there's even a little bit of church discipline where he says, hey, I entreat you, Odia and Syntyche, stop arguing. We're a family. We're here together. It's not easy, but we're on mission with Jesus, and we do this as a family, as a fellowship. We don't do it as a lone ranger. Think, yes, I'm part of some spiritual atmosphere of the church. What rubbish. This man loves the local church, and he's calling these people to do the same. I have not met one Christian who has neglected church and is the better for it. I have watched them go down deep paths of false teaching, hardness of heart, criticism. Friends, I know we're not perfect. Let me tell you, to live without your brothers and sisters in Christ is to have a lean religion that leads to nowhere. And I ask you today, Friends, do you love these people? They're yours in Christ forever. You might not like them now. You will love them later. Live for that. I know I irritate you. You say, well, thank goodness for the glorified Matt that's on his way. It's true. But friends, why are you here? You are called to love Christ's body. You are called to love his hands, his feet, his very extension of himself. You are called to minister to Christ by loving the church. To pray for her, to bless her, to be here for her, to have a, her concern upon your heart when she's going through difficulty times. You, you bleed for her. You, you carry her in your heart, not just with your head. Might the Lord deposit the affection of Christ for his body in us. You want to be running well, my friend. Your love for the church has grown. The fifth is he has such a rich prayer life. Friends, the great men of faith have all said the older they've gotten, the more they've valued prayer. Tim Keller, dying of cancer, he's going to be with Jesus soon. He says this, I wish I had prayed more in my life. Being close to Jesus was the thrill of Paul's life. And taking everything to this God who sustained him was the joy of Paul. And he saw in his life a correlation between God's moving kingdom and his requesting it. And friends, when you realize prayer 
goes way beyond your lifetime. When you realize prayer is fashioning nations, even though you can't see it, it doesn't matter. The scripture affirms it, that the prayer of a righteous man is availing much, that there is something moving forward through this humble act of appealing to a God who loves us and loves this world. When you start to see this kind of act of prayer being that powerful, what can hold you back? Silence or no silence, you believe that God is shaping things through the glory of this wonderful act of talking to a God who listens. And lastly, is, is your faith increasingly characterized by joy and confidence in the Lord? You see, the right outworking of all these things is a spiritual quality. It's not because you're working it up. It's because who you are enjoying and living from is Jesus. And Paul could say, guys, let me share you into a little secret here. I have learned that Jesus is enough for me, and he's enough for you. So powerful. He can look at this church and say, I can go be with Jesus willingly, although I love you so much that I'm, I'm saying no to Jesus right now. But you're in good hands. You're in good hands. You're not in my hands. My hands are not going to be around much longer. I mean, imagine here's their father in the faith. But he says, you know what? I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he can say, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He said, Philippians, you know why I can rejoice over you? You know why I can have a joy in my faith and confidence? It's because I know whose hands my life are in, and I know whose hands your life is in, and those hands are faithful and full of everything you need to live for Jesus, and he's going to lead you well. You see, the more you gaze on Jesus, the more you see you have enough. And Paul's life was a journey of seeing the glory of what he had in Christ and enjoying it, believing it, living from it, going, nothing else compares. And Philippians, I'm leaving you, but Christ is never going to leave you. He's going to lead you to glory. You're in good hands. That's how you live your life. Joy, peace, confidence, assurance. Are you wanting to finish well, church? Who knows? Your race might be shorter than you think. You won't regret it if you do. Let's pray. What a joy, Lord, to see all your help from heaven today. 
Christ leaning forward on his throne of glory, eager to see us progress in the things of God. And I pray today that we would see you, Jesus, like never before. Lord, we would see your sufficiency and your glory and your goodness to us, past, present, and future. That as a church, we would feel the covering of the one who bled and died for us and the glory of his leadership over our lives. And I pray, Jesus, I pray that you would open our hearts today in ways that we never dreamed of, to love you more, to love these people next to us here today, to love those who don't know you, Jesus, to be a people characterized by a compassion that drove you to the cross. Change us, Lord. Change us. Change us from one degree of glory to the next. Move us forward in the things that really matter. Give us a sense of all the help of heaven to do so. Lord, we lack nothing in Jesus this morning. All of heaven is for us in him. I pray, Lord, today that you would do a work in us. That when we look back, it will be like this Philippian church. You'll say, wow, God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We look forward to your redeeming mercy, God your willingness to work with imperfect people. Lord, we're so grateful. We're in the place where you can use us. Do so, we ask in your precious name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Let's love each other well. And uh, enjoy some fellowship. We'll see you next week. <laughs>